Hello everybody and welcome to part 2 with our conversation with my special guest, the Palestinian British poet Hannah Hazem. Uh, we'll be talking about finding inspiration, about keeping hope alive, about quarantine life, and I hope you will like it. This is Bob Musa from Gaza Kai Podcast. Enjoy listening. I do. I guess my question for you is like, I feel that you and your team keep hope alive um, through your poetry, through generally participation, but how do you keep it alive? What What is the kind of key to hope? I think it's hard to tell how we or I uh, keep hope alive in Gaza. You know, in a place like Gaza, you live in a constant fear of being lost, of getting lost too. And you can say that poetry helps in a way or another in finding ourselves. This could be a reason, or maybe there is no reason, but hope and stay hopeful for we don't have another choice. And you can see this or get this inspiration from the people of Gaza who despite what they went through, they still pray and hope for a better tomorrow. I guess I guess it's taking from the things that, are, you know, the situation that you're in, obviously we know about it, I know about it, but not enough people know about it. Um, what, do, what do you know and what you don't know? What do I know? I know that, um, um, Obviously, I am very familiar with the history and the Nakba, and I know about the um, my relatives and my uh, my heritage has been that you know I I can only return and I have only been able to come back to Palestine because I have a British passport. My father, who was born there and spent you know a good first five Where? six years of his life, which city was he born? was born? He was born in a very small village called Jean Safot which is not far from Nablus. It's between Kalpelia and Nablus. And um, his um, his sisters, he has, um, his father was married before he married um, my dad's mum. And he had five daughters and they all remained in Palestine. Wow. But my father and his siblings all moved to, to Jordan. They, you know, they had to, there was no choice really. Um, so he grew up, um, in near Amman, and he um, obviously became a Jordanian citizen. Uh, he went through um, into the Air Force, into the Jordanian Air Force, and then into the United Arab Emirates Air Force. Um, and then he met my mum, who was who was British. Um, whilst he was um, sent over, he was stationed over in a North Yorkshire Air Force base for some training. So all the way from Jordan. To, to this small part of Yorkshire, which is, you know, tiny, to, to talk about fate and how people meet. And um, he came, uh, they met then, and um, he um, obviously married my mum, but it wasn't until many years later that he decided to um, apply for a British passport. And it was only then that he was able to go back and, and visit um, the rest of his family, you know, his half sisters and um, all the family that they have, um, and they've all remained there. Sorry. Does he often go to Palestine? He he tries to go two or three times a year. Obviously, with coronavirus, it's uh, no, had a big that's impact. Right now. It is difficult. Um, he has one remaining sister who is alive, and, and a lot of her family um, are still in the same village. So I know that restrictions on them. Um, I know um, that um, having visited that village, the first sign you see 
um, at the entrance to the village and I'll never forget this on my trip in 2013 uh, was a sign in, uh, in Hebrew and English only saying don't enter this village there is risk of uh, violence from the villagers um, and and I remember thinking wow you know we've already been labeled as a as a group who are um, aggressive and violent and really they're just trying to live their lives and, and trying yeah. to um, look after their olive trees they're trying to have an education they're trying to have a livelihood and, and just get on so so obviously I saw that side of things and, and I saw how difficult it was um, to cross. We crossed over from uh, Jordan over the Allenby Bridge and uh, went in that way and I was asked multiple questions at the time um, when I visited, uh, why are you visiting, etc. But uh, in terms of Hazza, you know, I know that we, uh, when you hear about it described, it's an open air prison. Um, you have um, segregation and then you have the, the sea you know you are kind of trapped between um, the wall and the sea yes. and that's when I feel and obviously I'm aware of um, the restriction and when you talked about the electricity going off I'm aware of it but I don't have the first-hand experience oh. I was just going to say the Palestinian it's, it's no it's no consolation but the Palestinian spirit is a strong one and um, you know, Palestinians are used to resistance. It's it's a shame that they've had to get used to the resistance and, and they're used to the feeling of battling for their own livelihood and just to have a life. But Palestinians, I find, are very resilient and they have a true passion about, um, you know, keeping the history alive, keeping the um, Palestinians as a... As a as a kind of a generation of, uh, of kind of fighters in the sense that you just want to be, have a normal life. It's not fighting in the true sense. It's not the sense that is portrayed as it's, it's quite a um, understated kind of uh, right to uh, the land and a right to living some sort of normality. Um, but I do no. find that the, the mental health, obviously, Oh. Yeah, the me mental health must must wow. really, really struggle. Acoustic strip, psychological trauma, poverty, environmental degradation have had a negative impact on residents' physical and mental health. Many, including children, suffer from anxiety, distress, depression. I know people talk about the mental pressure and how being locked up had uh, led to more mental health problems. But what about being locked up for nearly 13 years? Think about it. Yeah, I can imagine, I, you know, I, what you mentioned about coronavirus and, um, you know, people talking about lockdown and, um, you know, I've, I've heard so many people um, around me um, to say that they're struggling with their mental health because of the coronavirus. And I understand it. I appreciate and understand that everyone's mental health levels are all different. We all tolerate different things. We all have different levels of resilience. And then I think about, you know, um, in Palestine, like you say, you're in, you're in a continuous lockdown. You've adjusted to it. You've had to get used years. to it. And, and for this to be a, you know, it's for your own health. You've got to stay at home for a little bit longer. You can sit in the comfort of your own home. 
um, where you have the electricity, you have the freedom to move if you were sick, if you needed emergency treatment, if you needed um, any other additional support, there are agencies and avenues to get that. Um, it's not the end of the world. And, and obviously I empathize with everybody and, and I've, it's, it's hit me, you know, the lockdown and the impact work has been extra busy. There's been a lot of pressures around getting it right because we still have had to carry out some of our essential services. Um, we've had to close down some of our other services and um, the pressure is high. But when I think to, well, in a few months, inshallah, you know, we might be able to start our movement that we, we know that we can do because the, the privilege is there, that it is present. Um, and that's when I kind of want to remind some people that, you know, it's, it's tougher in a lot of other places and we have to have some perspective. Yeah, but you cannot uh, blame people about what happened right now. Even when they say they're, uh, they're mentally pressured from what is going on in their lives because of the lockdown and because of the coronavirus. It has not been easy, you know, and it has not been easy at all. And this experience has been uh, so heavy on everybody, so tough on everybody. And uh, right. yeah. now the feeling here has not been different uh, because uh, you're familiar with that feeling, but you don't want this pandemic to uh, to stay. Uh, we want this pandemic to end, and of course. Uh, we don't want that to be like a threat to our future dreams, to our future uh, walks that we plan to walk in this life. So we wish that this pandemic ends, and even if you're Palestinian, non-Palestinian. Uh, we wish this pandemic will end and people will start to live life uh, normally. Do you think life will be back to normal after this? Um, I kind of hope for part of it to come back to normality, but I hope we don't return exactly the same as we were before. Um, I feel that there is, um, uh, has been a return to more important things since the pandemic. And you're right, um, everyone has really struggled and everyone has had to reassess their priorities um, and think about what's important. And the main thing is health um, and feeling that you are healthy. Um, the second thing is ensuring that you can keep your head above water in terms of finances because a lot of people have been impacted um, either losing jobs or um, been, you know, asked, been put onto furlough where they're not able to get 100% um, pay. People's perspective, you know, perspectives have, have changed. So, so in a way, yeah, I'm, I would like to return to some sense of normality. But I hope that as human beings, we've learned some lessons about, you know, taking time to go out for a walk and enjoy nature. Um, for a long time in the UK, we were allowed to only have one hour's exercise a day. And most people probably wouldn't have taken that really if they had other options, but, but people had no other options. There was, you couldn't go to a restaurant, you couldn't go and see your friends. You, so so the best next best, best thing was to go for a walk in the park or go for a walk near you. And I, I hope there's been a new appreciation of the simpler things in life. Um, I wrote a poem about, as soon as coronavirus started, I wrote a poem about um, the situation and how I kind of compared uh, us as human beings and life to the greedy caterpillar. 
It's a childhood book of mine, one of my favorite books, um, where a smudge, I don't know if you've seen it, the caterpillar works through, starts eating lots and lots of things until it becomes too full. And um, then it obviously blossoms into a, into a beautiful butterfly, but it's about greed and it's about kind of taking things as you see them. We'd love to hear you read that Okay, so it's the greedy caterpillar. What if the world became a caterpillar, eating its way through forests and farms, tearing down trees with each bite, teeth growing sharper, stomach stretching wider, eyes becoming greedier? What if the people became a caterpillar, gnawing their way through morals and ethics, tearing down souls with each crunch, teeth growing sharper, stomach stretching wider, eyes becoming greedier? The world and its people became the angry caterpillar, became the hungry caterpillar, became the greedy caterpillar. And when they had their fill, they turned to look back on their path of destruction and saw the ruins of their greed. They saw there was no air left in lungs. They saw there was no joy left in touch. They saw there was no faith left in life. So the caterpillar did all it could do curled itself up and laid down to wallow, consumed by hatred, saturated with sustenance, overwhelmed by gluttony. It felt heavy, it felt sad, and so it slept, turning inwards, quietening its breath, cocooning its guilt. A thundering silence came, a fitful slumber arose, and the forests and farms drew a tentative breath and the morals and ethics snuck a provisory glance at the quiet and the stillness, at the silence and sobriety. In this moment, they set to work, wrapping the caterpillar in patience, encasing the caterpillar in love, swathing the caterpillar in beauty, tiptoeing gently, sidestepping quietly, waiting hopefully for the world to become a butterfly for the people to become a butterfly, for the butterfly within the caterpillar to awake and spread its wings, to breathe air into lungs, to awaken joy into touch, to float faith into life. So beautiful, Hannah. Thank you, thank you. I was very motivated to write that, thinking about everything that had happened. So what motivates you to write, Hannah? If it comes to me, it's one of my poems that I will I could be driving, I could be walking, I could be um, at work. And some, some of the lines will start in my head. And I know that that urgency will just keep picking up until I pick up my phone and I start to write. Um, and sometimes I have to process it for a couple of hours before it kind of all comes out in terms of before I start to write. Because for me, when it comes from my heart, when I've really felt something and that pull is there, as soon as I start writing, it's done within, I don't know, a couple of minutes. I've written it and I don't ever go back to, to recheck it or correct it or add anything to it. And you're right, if, if someone says to me, Hannah, can you write me a poem about something? I, I had a really good friend who asked me to write a poem about love and, and it was for her wedding and I actually read it at her wedding. And although she was very happy with it, very pleased with it, and I did my best with it, I did have to 
kind of really draw down on everything that I knew um, to sit down and write that and really put myself in those positions and, and I had to kind of take myself away to uh, start it and then to go back to it. Um, but it wouldn't have been one of my most authentic pieces. Yeah. I think it's all about authenticity. What about these days, Hannah? You know, for me, I find it very hard uh, to write. And maybe I wrote three poems, three short poems in a three months, really lacking for motivation. I don't write these days unless it just comes to me. And, and I only, I describe That's it as a, as a flow. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you feel the same. It's hard to find someone that kind of understands that side of thing. What inspires you to write? Is it is it is it a particular feeling? Is it a particular state of mind? Where do you find your inspiration? Me, my surroundings, my pains, my joys, what I go through, what I experience. Sometimes none of them. Sometimes a random person could ignite something new and you want to write it. Sometimes a random experience, a random conversation. 